Oh, the greeting space. I love the greeting space. We're going to get it back. We'll get it back. It's coming back. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see your faces. Isn't it good to be in the house of God together? So good to be back here. Uh, Two things before I start preaching real quick. Uh, One is if you didn't get um, a copy of, uh, so I have a book coming out next month called All Flame. It's entering into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not the fully released or fully edited copy. This is what they call the advanced reader copy. So they put these together for promotional purposes. They were planning on giving them out at conferences around the country this year, and then everything got shattered by COVID. Um, So I'm giving them to you to help me promote the book, okay? And I was able to get, we gave away all of them last week. I was able to get my hands on 50 more. And so we're doing one per household. You can get one at Connect Central on the way out. And all I'm asking is four little things from you. Just be sure to read the book if you buy it or if you get it. When the book actually does come out, it'd be nice if you're able to, to buy it um, because that helps with the sales. We don't want these to cut into sales. Three, if you're the Amazon review type or even if you're not, please leave a five-star review for me on Amazon. That really helps. And then four, just raise a ruckus with me on social media about it. So the book actually releases September 15th. So if on the 15th, that's a Tuesday, if on the 15th we can just blow up social media, with all flame stuff, it'll really help put the book, which I think is going to help a lot of people, it'll help put the book in front of people. So grab one of these on the way out. Second thing I wanted to say to you is it is so nice to see this place so full again. Uh, Last week between both services, we had 350 people, which is just great to see faces. Those of you that are worshiping with us online, we are open. We would love to have you. So if you're physically able to be with us, come and join us. But a huge need for us, guys, is children's ministry. As you know, we only have children's ministry right now, zero to five years old in the first service only. And we'd love to be able to offer more. But here is the deal, okay? Everybody say, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm not going to open up eight classrooms in faith that we're going to be able to staff it. We want to be able to do this in a sustainable way. Guys, this community here, this is our community. And let's take ownership over it together. So I would love to, we would love to have you help us with children's ministry. You say, I'm not the children's ministry type. I think probably 98% of people that have ever signed up for children's ministry would say they're not the children's ministry type. If you like human beings, if you have a shred of compassion in you, if you care about your church, if you have any benevolence or goodwill in you, just sign up for children's ministry for Pete's sake. And uh, we're only asking for one service a month, okay? Ever say one service a month. Do you know how amazing that is? We're asking for like an hour and a half a month. This would be amazing. And if you sign up for children's ministry, you can go to like the 9 a.m. service, and then you could serve in the 11 if you wanted to, or you could serve in the 9 a.m. and help, or whatever. You get the picture. Like, you're not going to miss out on anything. So just help us out. And as we get more volunteer staff for children's ministry, then we will open up more classrooms, okay? So we want to do this in a sustainable way because it's the 21st century. And everything that you do has got to be sustainable, okay? So that's what we're trying to do. We're sort of like a, it's like green children's ministry or something, okay? You get what I'm saying. Okay, we're preaching on the book of Revelation. And I just love it so much. And so what we're going to do, we did it last week, is before we open the scriptures to Revelation and start saying things about it, we want to locate ourselves in the faith of the church. And so we're going to open our sermons during the series of Revela- on Revelation by declaring the Nicene Creed together. So if you're able to, would you stand up on your feet this morning? This uh, creed is 1,700 years old. 
It comprises the greatest and the truest things about the Christian story. In a way, it's a summary statement of what the biblical story is all about. And when we say it, we're getting acquainted with the main characters of the biblical story and also the plot of the story, where it's going. So anything about, that we say about Revelation, we're going to locate right inside this. Brothers and sisters, let's say it with faith in our hearts this morning. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, the true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Everybody say amen and follow it up with a hallelujah. And so, Lord, here we are in your presence, your people, purchased with blood, brought into the family of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. We have been made precious stones in the new temple that you are building to inhabit. Oh, God, we thank you for it. We're asking now that the word of God would penetrate to the innermost. The writer of Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, but everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so we thank you that the word of God, Jesus the Lord, now takes human words written in scripture and human words preached, and you make them your sharp double-edged sword that does this penetrating work. So we're calling upon you for that this morning. And this morning, I'm also remembering the words of the great St. Augustine, who said that for now, the scripture of God is the face of God. <laughs> Melt in its presence. So we pray that this morning, that as we read the scriptures, that we would see the face of God and that we would melt in its presence. Grant that we're asking. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, you can be seated. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. John writes, I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, he said, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Everybody say, like a trumpet. 
which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Say, like a son of man. And he was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a blazing fire and his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held the seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, John says, shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, he says, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and look, I am alive, he says, forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. For the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. Isn't this nice? When Jesus shows up and he interprets his own words for us. Hey, here's this nifty allegory. Let me explain to you exactly what it means. Here's what Jesus says. He says that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands that he's standing in the midst of are the seven churches. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. John is having a worship service all by himself. He's separated from his friends. He's 25 or 30 miles away. He's exiled on the island of Patmos because of his testimony to the word of God and Jesus, the Lord. They threw him on an island and he maintained his habits, his rhythm. Sunday rolls around and he goes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. On the Lord's day, he says, I was in the spirit. Have you ever had moments like that when you're just washed away by the spirit of God and all of a sudden God shows up and what John hears is this sounds like a trumpet, he says, a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, the image of a trumpet would have been familiar to the readers of this text because trumpets figure prominently in the Old Testament text, Exodus chapter 19. The people of God are at Mount Sinai, and the scripture says that on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. That's almost word for word, okay? What we're hearing John say that he heard. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. So have you ever heard like a shofar? Anybody ever been around? I was preaching at New Life Friday night a couple years ago and somebody blew a shofar randomly right in the middle of worship. And I'm telling you that the theater over there at New Life North, that's a big room and it's very loud. And the shofar went above all of that. Wait, what? What is happening? Are we in the book of Revelation now? Imagine that sound, but increasing in intensity, you know? The volume just rises and rises and rises and rises at Mount Sinai. And the scripture says that Moses spoke and what? The voice of God answered him. So in Exodus, the trumpet doesn't seem to be the voice of God, and this is going to be important later, but the trumpet seems to be announcing the voice of God. I would say that, and people differ on this, but I would say that the trumpet is an angel an angel announcing that a great revelation is about to happen, that a great, what scholars would call a theophany, a manifestation of the presence of God. So the trumpet is saying, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event, okay? And that's what's happening here. So John is poised to receive 
a great vision from God. He says he turns around to see the voice that was speaking to him and what is it that he does see. And I want to put two things in front of you. This is critical to making sense of the book of Revelation. It's critical to making sense of our own lives. First of all, what John sees is an undeniably human person standing in front of him. Revelation 1 and verse 12, look back down at the text. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw the seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone... Yeah, I need you to help me. This is like a, this is like a group participation event. Okay. When I turned around, what I saw was someone like us, the son of man. Now that's like lofty biblical language, right? Son of man. Son of man in the Hebrew scriptures is really just a kind of roundabout way of saying a human being, a truly human being. In fact, in Ezekiel, it shows up all the time. If you've read the book of Ezekiel, God's preferred way of talking to, to Ezekiel is, hey, uh, son of man. In other words, uh, little human being. <laughs> So there's some background here. The, the one that John sees is undeniably human. He's dressed in an ordinary human robe, actually almost like the priest in the Old Testament would wear. And he's got a golden sash around his chest. So this one that John sees is undeniably human. Everybody say undeniably human. But, but there's more than that because John also sees someone who is radiant with divinity. He's undeniably God. He goes on to say... That this one who's like a son of man, that the hair on his head was white like wool, and his eyes were as snow. His white, uh, sorry, it was white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. And his feet, John says, were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held the seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face, I love this, was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. John doesn't just see someone who is undeniably human, but he sees the very glory of God manifest in this person. Can I get an amen? The whole image calls to mind the transfiguration. Pastor Brett Davis, when I was out of town on vacation, preached about it several weeks ago, that Jesus took his disciples up to a high mountain, and the scripture says that he was transfigured before them. And his face began to shine like the sun and his clothes became, Mark says, that they became so white, whiter than any launderer in the world could ever bleach them. Oh, really? That white, Mark? <laughs> and he was burning with fire, the very fire of God's glory, like the burning bush in Exodus 3. It calls to mind the transfiguration, certainly. I think that John intends that our minds would go back to that. But I also think that the entire scene calls to mind the book of Daniel. Daniel figures prominently in the background of Revelation. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel says that he looked, and as he looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat upon the main throne. And his clothing, this person that was seated on the throne, was white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. This is almost word for word from Revelation, isn't it? His throne was, light, was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. So John, uh, Daniel rather, looks at the throne, and what does he see? He sees the very glory of God. And it's barely anything that he can contain with his senses, but he sees hair white like snow and white as wool and eyes were like blazing fire. He sees all of that. And then he also sees, look at that, this in verse 13. He says, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man 
coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence, verse 14. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. So, get this, what John is doing. John is taking the figure of the Ancient of Days that's on the throne and the figure of Daniel's son of man, and he's smashing them together. <laughs> and he's saying that this human one that I have seen is in fact the one seated on the throne. Brothers and sisters, can I get an amen? And so the response of John then to the vision is understandable. Verse 17 of chapter 1, John says, when I saw him, <laughs> I fell at his feet as though dead. He's undone. He's undone by the vision of it all. Brothers and sisters, can we just take a moment here to be staggered again by the mystery of our faith? To be undone by all of it. The shock the scandal, the beauty of Christianity is this, that Mary's son, crucified under Pontius Pilate, a human being just like us, lives beyond death, and he is one of the Trinity. <laughs> Guys, that's the whole thing right there. That's the whole thing right there. The shock, the scandal, the beauty of Christianity is that this particular human being, Jesus of Nazareth, raised in Galilee, brought up in Nazareth, one of the Jewish people, this man who lived to be about 33 years old, this man with his particular eye color and skin color, the particular curl of his hair, the way that his disposition and his personality was, this human being is God. And he lives beyond death. He lives, moreover, as one of the Trinity. That when we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that second member of the Trinity that we identify is not just some vague abstraction floating in outer space, but it's the very one who was crucified by Pontius Pilate and was raised to life again on the third day. With nail marks still in his hands, still now. And his side still wounded by the spear. And the nail marks still in his feet. That one is our God. We say it in our creeds. We say that we believe in one Lord. You're going to have to do better than that because we just said it. I gave you the quiz answers ahead of time. We believe in one Lord. The only Son of. Eternally begotten of the. God from. Light from. True God from begotten, not of one through him to heaven, and he is, and he will in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. This is our God, Jesus the Lord. And the early church never stopped being fascinated by it. One of the great thinkers of the early church era, Cyril. Alexandria said that God was in the humanity of Jesus. That he who was, it forced paradoxes for them that filled their hearts with faith. He said that he who was above all creation was in our human condition. 
the invisible one, Cyril says, was visible in the flesh. Next slide. He who was in the heavens and from on high was in the likeness of earthly things. The immaterial one, he said, could be touched. He who is free in his own nature came in the form of a slave. He who blesses all creation became accursed. He who is all righteousness was numbered among the transgressors. Life itself came in the appearance of death. Indeed, he says, the mystery of Christ runs the risk of being disbelieved because it is so incredibly wonderful. Yeah, but how can it be that God didn't just climb in a body and sit in it like somebody guiding a rocket ship, but God actually became this human being? Two centuries earlier in Alexandria, another thinker of the church, Origen, said that if it, by it he means the human mind, if the mind, he said, thinks of God, what it sees is a mortal being. But if it thinks of a human being, it perceives him returning from the dead with spoils after conquering the kingdom of death. Oh, brothers and sisters, be undone. Be undone. That this human being, that this human one who is God is showing up among us and he's speaking to the churches. And get this, and this is where I want you to really pay attention. That the first words that this man who is God says to John when he shows up come in Revelation 1 and verse 17. Listen to the words of the living Christ. Do not be don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid. He says, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And I, now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The man who lives deathlessly as God, Jesus Christ, appears. And his first words to John and his first words to the church and his first words to humanity are, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you realize that he could have said anything? Here is Jesus appearing to John. He has a message of the utmost importance for humanity. He has the message of the utmost importance to the churches. The thing that is going to set humanity right. He could have said anything. He could have said, hey John, but let's talk about what's happening in Rome over there. But let's talk about Domitian and let's talk about all the evil stuff that he's doing. Let's talk about the way that Nero was burning Christians at the stake and setting them on fire and blaming the fires of Rome on them. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the seals. Let's talk about the scrolls. Let's talk about hunger. Let's talk about famine. Let's talk about thirst. Let's talk about danger and nakedness and war. John, let's talk about all that. He could have started anywhere. And he starts with, don't be afraid. He starts with, don't be afraid. Can you just let that sit in your heart for a second? Think about that. The first thing that Jesus wants to do with human beings when he shows up is he comforts them in their fear. Like a parent comforting a child who wanders into the bedroom with a bad dream. Get over here. Get over here. Get over here. Honey, honey, honey. How many of you have kids? How many of you remember that? When your kids are wandering with a bad dream and they'd be hyperventilating. <laughs> What? And they start telling this horrible dream. Sometimes they can't even get the words out of their mouths. But they're just weeping. What do you do? You wrap your arms around them and you let them feel your body on their body. And you get their heart rate straightened out again and you get their breathing back and straight into their ear you whisper over and over and over again, it's okay.
because Jesus knows. Jesus knows that the great besetting issue of our life is fear. That we're running. That we're running from God. That we're running from one another. That we're running from illusions. That we're running from ourselves. Fear is the great thing that is driving our lives into the ditch. And Jesus the Lord knows it. And so the first word that he speaks to us is, would you just stop being afraid? Don't you get it? I'm here. Don't you get it? I've passed through death. Don't you get it? In passing through death, I've defanged death. You have nothing to fear from it. And I live deathlessly now as God. And I'm holding your life in the palm of my hands. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is speaking that to the center of who we are because he knows that if he can rectify that issue in us, if he can speak a word of comfort into our fears, if he can get us to be bold, then we'll start walking in righteousness, won't we, brothers and sisters? When I think about my own life, I think the main, where my life has gone off the tracks most consistently has been because I have let fear go to seed. It's taken root in my life. I was afraid of myself. I was afraid of consequences that would come if I showed up and I said the truth. I was afraid of other people. I was afraid of what they would say. I was afraid of what they wouldn't say. I was afraid of how they would treat me. I was afraid of this situation. I was afraid of that. All of the big mistakes have always been driven by fear. When I think about it, I've been a pastor now for 15 years. I've counseled hundreds, maybe thousands of people whose lives were being driven into the ditch. Things were falling apart or who were dealing with some neurotic, psychotic behavior. And we'd sit and we'd start to talk and we'd peel back the layers and always you find some root of fear that's driving things along. Guys, it's fear. Fear is what makes our lives evil. It's what make, makes our world evil. Think about the Garden of Eden. What was the enemy doing with Adam and Eve? But planting fear in them. Oh, hey, God's holding out on you. That's the whole thing. You know, what God knows is that when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And God is afraid of you, that you'll challenge him. And if you don't get this, you're not going to be able to rise up in your den. What does he do? Is he plants fear. And the moment they take the fruit and they eat, what happens is they become afraid. Really and truly, they're hiding from God in the garden. God is trying to get us to stop being afraid. Because the great evils of our world are driven by fear. Brothers and sisters, why are the nations of the earth going to war with each other? fear. Why are we disposing of human lives before they ever get a chance to come into the world? It's fear. Why are we running from our marriages and running from our children? It's fear. Why are we marching through the streets with guns? Fear. Why do we refuse to talk to people on the other side of the political aisle? Why are we running out into social media with angry tirades, demonizing people, setting the world on fire, tearing people down? It's fear. It's always fear. It always has been fear. And evil will always be motivated by fear. Don't you understand? This is why the Apostle Paul says that everything that does not come from faith is, can you finish it for me? It's sin. we stop trusting that God is good, when we stop trusting that Jesus is for us, when we stop trusting that God is with us in the person of Jesus, fear takes root in us and all of the evils of our world start coming. John says, brothers and sisters, that Jesus stands among the lampstands. And we know because Jesus said it, that the lampstands are the churches and he is speaking fearlessness 
to us, and he's speaking fearlessness through us into the world. Can I get an amen? Guys, the church should be the one institution on planet Earth, the one society on planet Earth where fear is very difficult to find. What needs to happen when we gather, when we assemble as God's people, is that the scripture says, one of Jesus' best friends said that perfect love casts out fear. It casts it out. When the people of God gather together, what they ought to be doing is they're walking into the presence of God. And just like we sang in that song, really ironic. That sometimes the people of God, who should be the most fearless and the greatest purveyors of peace that the world has ever, ever seen, that we wind up being the greatest purveyors of fear on planet Earth. That we traffic in it. That all the fear-mongering that's at work in the world, all of that, all of the stuff that makes us so afraid and gets us to hide in little holes in the ground, what happens is the church lets that seep into her own water supply. And then what we start trying to quench the fires of the world with is in fact the very thing that the world is on fire with. That we start trafficking in fear. And I think that that's ridiculous. <laughs> we believe in a God who in his very being is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God who is only love and all love all the time. The God who James said that he is the father of the lights who does not change like shifting shadows. There is no darkness in God. There is no fear in God. There's none of it in God. And we theoretically believe this and then we run out into the world and we start stirring up fear in the world. We start telling people, well, you know, if these people get into office, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Why are we doing that? Well, you know what this group of people is doing over here is they're just trying to hijack everything and they're ruining the world. Why are we doing that? You know, if you died tonight, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Guys, we are the ones who ought to be rushing into the world saying, hey, brothers and sisters, hey, people that do not yet know, Jesus Christ is alive. Don't be afraid. Don't you realize all the stuff that people are doing in the world that's so crazy is because they're, not, they're, they're, they're afraid. And our call is to run into the world with fearlessness and to give that to people. And I, I think two things about this. And with this, we're going to start heading into just a time of ministry, another time of worship here. But I think two things about this. One, one, I think that the reason that we do this is most likely because our lives have not actually been touched by the fearlessness of God. Jesus' message of do not fear hasn't reached us into the uttermost. It's impossible for me to believe that a people that have been really touched by the love of God that casts out fear would be running into the world trafficking in fear. That's ridiculous to me. It's absurd. The tree is known by its fruit. If you're out there stirring up fear in the world, it's because you have fear in your heart. And if you have fear in your heart, by definition, the love of God has not touched that place. It's time for the love of God to touch that place. And the second thing I think about it is that this must break the heart of Jesus who passed through death, this is what the writer of Hebrews says, that he too shared in our humanity in order that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. It must break the heart of the living one. 
that I did all of this, that I passed through death and I broke the back of hell, and you're out there stirring up fear in the world, oh, little one, come to me again. Let me touch you with my love one more time. Brothers and sisters, the living one is among us this morning, and he is casting out fear. Let's open our hearts to him again. Stand with me this morning. And I want to just ask you, as we prepare to worship one more time this morning, I want to ask you, I want to ask you this simple question. Actually, you can put the last slide up on the screen. I just want to ask you where your life is being driven along by fear. Where is your life being driven along by fear? And you can close your head, bow your eyes, just enter into a time of examination here. Where is your life being driven along by fear? To Jesus now, we begin to offer that up to you. We offer it up to you. We thank you that you are present among us this morning. Oh, Spirit of God, move. Welcome him in, won't you? Welcome him in, won't you? Some of you know, and I, I'm speaking from experience here. Our life is a very complex thing. When we welcome Jesus in as Lord of our lives, usually what we're doing is we're welcoming him into one component of our lives. But there are many others, many other rooms and places in us that we just haven't let him in. And he stands before John and he says that he's holding the keys of death and hell. That means there's no room that he can't get into if he wants to. <laughs> but do you know what he'd prefer? He'd prefer that we let him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I'm, I'm just wondering about you. But that place in your life, and you know it, I know that you know it because you live with it every single day, where your life is being driven along by fear, won't you just open it up to him? But you're standing right now on the threshold of a great transformation. Transformation for you, for your friends, for your family. A transformation that will ramify out to the world around you. Oh, friend, let him in. Let him in. And so now, Jesus, we offer up to you not just the good parts of us, the parts that we love, but we're offering up to you this morning the parts that we are most afraid of and most ashamed of. And we thank you that when you come in, you do, you, there is no guilt, there is no shame, you don't embarrass us, but what you do is you hold us close like a parent does with his child, with her child. You reassure us that we've been bought with a price and that we're going to be okay. And so I pray that this morning that you would do that again and us afresh. Wrap our lives up in your love. Break the back of fear. Make us courageous again in you. We're asking that in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said, let's sing this song this morning, and I want you to sing this song over yourself, and over all of those who are around you this morning, let's sing it together.
say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You brought me out of the pit. You put a song on my lips. You set my feet on a rock. Oh, you put a song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Jesus, the Lord, I ask that in this place this morning that you would burn your people right down to faith. Burn them right down to worship. Burn them right down to yes and amen. We say that fear has no place in our lives, but we belong to you. Now anchor us in that, we pray. My brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you know Jesus Christ. May you know Jesus Christ as the Father who carries you, as a good God, as a counselor, a faithful counselor and friend who's wrapped you up. You have nothing to fear in his arms. May you know him in your bones like that. Oh, as you go from this place, brothers and sisters, may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Thank you. Hey, if you need prayer for anything this morning, uh, we're kind of not exactly supposed to have altar ministry, so workaround solution. David and Robin Miller, who lead our altar ministry team, David is over here. Robin, where are you? Robin's over here. And truly, guys, anybody that's wearing a name badge here, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit and would love to pray with you. So if you do not go out of this place this morning with a bunch of stuff stirred up that you didn't get handled. Go receive some prayer. Remember to grab a book on the way out. You're so loved, and we're so grateful to see you. Also, sign up for children's ministry. We'll see you next week. <laughs>